You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. If I asked you to name the year that America became so divided that liberal and conservative, black and white, rich and poor Americans could barely stand to speak with one another, what year would you choose? The new book says it's a specific year, 1974. Why? In Fault Lines, authors Julian Zelizer and Kevin Cruz say our current disagreements have their roots in the cynical politics of the Nixon era. Joining us now to talk more about that is Julian Zelizer, a history historian and co-author of Fault Lines, a history of the United States since 1974. Julian, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So when we see stories emerge, like the ones out of Virginia this week or out of Florida last week, where Americans, uh, white Americans, are caught in photos uh, in blackface, you know, it feels like we're not so far removed from the era of Jim Crow or maybe even an earlier era. Uh, Is our recent American history a story of two steps forward and one back or... Is it even worse? Is it one step forward and one back? Well, it's a little of everything. There are certain steps we never took. So one of the issues we look at in the book is how when the civil rights movement turned from questions of desegregation and voting rights, which animated the 1960s and even open housing, uh, to questions of institutional racism in the 1970s, whether it was the way our educational system worked, uh, which centered on uh, efforts to uh, implement school busing, or whether it was questions about our criminal justice reform, uh, our criminal justice system, we really didn't make much progress over the decades on those questions. It, it's there's no real great steps forward other than heightened attention to the issue, and and some would argue uh, we actually moved backwards. And and then in recent years, what we've seen is a renewal, certainly in the last two years, but but even. Uh, further of, um, of of white nationalism and the kind of explicit racism that seemed to have generally faded uh, from the public landscape, and and that's come back. Uh, so so I think we're we're not in a great place, even with the progress we've made since the '60s, uh, in in terms of uh, the African American middle class and certain forms of desegregation. So talk to me about 1974. Uh, I was three years old, uh, but but I, I, I have read a lot about that year because in August of that year, the president of the United States resigns uh, rather than continue to fight to hold the job in the face of probable impeachment. A lot of people say that's a moment that's a triumph of our democracy, that it shows that it worked. Yeah, we elected somebody who betrayed us, uh, and he left, and things were supposed to get better. You see it differently. Yeah, that we, we start with that moment in American history, which which is a way to capture uh, where we were in the early 1970s. And certainly it was really a traumatic event uh, to watch the president step out and resign and, and literally leave. Uh, and there was hope that that would create some kind of sense of resolution, not only 
to his scandal, but to all the tensions that had built up over Watergate, uh, I mean, over Vietnam and other issues during the 1960s. But but it didn't really work that way. Uh, one thing we see very quickly is, is Gerald Ford, who's his successor, will pardon uh, Nixon for all the crimes he might have committed. And that leads to a lot of outrage in the country, a sense that there had been no real accountability, even though the president resigned to all the things that had been discovered in Watergate. And then in terms of the presidency, the hope was that we would restrain presidential power after everything we learned uh, about him and how he had misused that power uh, and some of his predecessors had. But what we've seen is since the 1970s, presidential power has still remained alive and well, uh, including during national security crises like 9-11. And in many ways, it's even stronger today than it was in the 1970s. So I think for both of those reasons, that resignation didn't actually solve some of the problems that had been exposed with Watergate. So, So is America, in the aftermath of that, more divided than it was before uh, is the first question. The second question is, is it more divided than it ever has been? I mean, there are a lot of people who say we, we, the, the decades that lead from there, from then to now, have been more divisive than at any time uh, in, in history and that we're now at a point where, as I said in the open, we can barely speak to one another uh, if we see the other person as sitting across some partisan divide. Is, is that an accurate way to describe where we are? Well, in terms of your second question, there's obviously been moments of greater division. Obviously, the Civil War was a a total breakdown. Lowest point, right? (laughs) You can't really (laughs) replicate that. And we're not there. Uh, We are still whole as a nation. But in terms of, of, you know, are we more divided today than we were, say, in the 50s and 60s? Well, what we're trying to show is that obviously there were lots of divisions in those in those decades. There's always fault lines. There were divisions over race, over war. But there were other institutions that pushed in a different direction. So unions, for example, offered a, a form of labor organizing that pulled different parts of society together into a common institution. Uh, the media worked very differently. Back in the 50s and 60s, the structure of the media was more centralized. There were a handful of networks, a handful of newspapers where many Americans gathered their facts and information. And even the federal government had a much stronger role and, and we argue uh, a somewhat uniting role for a while in American society. Our institutions since the 70s push us in the other direction. The way the media has unfolded has really encouraged and created incentives for fragmentation and division. The way politics works, the way our party system works, it it really plays to the partisan divisions rather than trying to push against them. So um, we've lost some of those key institutions that in the post-World War II period pushed against the divisions that are always there. And and that's why we're in a bad place. We have now totally normalized uh, and really prioritized different kinds of division as the norm in our country. Uh, Let's go back to the phones here. And if you want to join, uh, 313-577-1019 is always the number. Brian in Livonia, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, hey, good morning. Uh, I just wanted to preface by saying uh, my great-grandfather was actually in the Civil War uh, with the infantry from Wisconsin, fought with Sherman's Army, and mm. we have a lot of letters and things like that, and uh, some of them were pretty horrific. Uh, but anyway, uh, my sort of question slash comment, I believe you were 
uh, guests answered some of them uh, moments ago. But, you know, what, you know, even from the Civil War till now and everything in between, what has kept the, the this going? Is it a uh, fear of, uh, you know, just people being different? Uh, is it an economic fear, um, a social fear? Um, it's just, it's, we've just gone through so much. We're talking about politics and, and, you know, certain institutions pushing a certain narrative. It's like, what keeps that going and, and who's benefiting from it? And we obviously know who's on the losing end of it. But why does that persist uh, to this day? Yeah. Thank, Great question, thank Brian. But thank you. Yeah. Julian, go ahead. That is a good question. And uh, historians always answer all of the above. And we <laughs> tend to kind of stress the complexity of why a phenomenon happens. There's certainly, if you look at a, a bottom-up approach, if you look at the social history of this country, uh, in, in recent decades, there isn't agreement on some fundamental issues. There is no consensus uh kind of bottom-up consensus over certain questions. And and we have real divisions over issues uh, such as gender, uh, such as sexuality, and such as race, which are not simply fomented from up top. Uh, I think they, they are ugly, they are nasty, and that's what we see on, on a daily basis. And that's why we don't have some kind of resolution and the tensions continue. That said, we also have um, aspects of how our key institutions work that uh, push the divisions even further. So uh, one example, if you look at the way our parties work, there are many incentives in in the political process, the way districts are gerrymandered, the way campaign finance comes from single-issue groups that hold uh, members of Congress accountable to very particular narrow issues, uh, to the way that the party leaders have immense power on Capitol Hill to make sure no one defects from the party line. Uh, re- those are really important understanding why Washington works the way it does. And those have been building since the 1970s uh, and are part of the answer uh, besides the natural divisions that exist in our country. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call and the comments uh, and the question. Brian, uh, let's go to Annette in West Bloomfield. Annette, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Uh-huh. I know that your subject is revolving around what happened in the news lately, and many a time your subjects talk about people of color. But it's not just people of color. I come from a Jewish background, a father who is a survivor of the Holocaust, mm. and still we have hatred, no matter what, against us. And you can't change people's thoughts. I don't know how to change people's thoughts. Yeah, I'm, and that, um, yeah, sir. I, I really appreciate you calling and and interjecting that into the conversation. You're absolutely right. Uh, discrimination takes on many many forms uh, in, in our country. Uh, Julian, I wonder what your reaction is to what Annette is saying. No, that's absolutely correct, and and they're often. Uh, hatreds and and forms of anger that coexist uh, in in certain groups, and so we've we've seen a, a pretty dramatic rise of uh, what are called white nationalist organizations since the 1990s. Um, they're called different things, but they represent the same.
same set of goals. Uh, they first flared in Oklahoma City uh, when there was a horrendous bombing of a federal government building. The FBI tracked these organizations. And we've obviously seen these recently from Charlottesville to the Tree of Life. And and there's a set of uh, kind of liberal impulses that came out of the 60s uh, on on immigration, for example, uh, on, on race, uh, and uh, even a move against some of the anti-Semitism that still lurked in the body politic. And what's often important to remember, and you saw it on Char- in Charlottesville, uh, is these are not separate. Uh, these are often expressions of certain parts of white America, uh, of a resistance to the very real changes that have taken place in social rights and social values uh, since the 60s. And I think you see pockets that don't like any of this. Uh, but to think they're separate, I think, misses uh, what the opponents of, of liberalism are saying. Uh, again, Annette, I, I really appreciate uh I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to John in Windsor. John, okay. welcome to Detroit today. Good morning. I was just uh, interested on your conversations. Is your guest familiar with the Overton window theory? And how does that apply to right now? Because I've seen that we have now taken two steps to the right, and that's become the norm. So in order for us to get back to what we considered normalcy, we have to take two steps back to the left, hmm. and that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. I, I be, uh, so so I, I might be wrong, but I believe that's about what kind of uh, policies and, and processes are acceptable. Uh, and, uh, and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but but I think that is a, a really uh, important development in American politics. We have continued really not just in the era of Trump, but this dates back, I would argue, and we argue in our book to the 90s, when you've seen in politics as partisanship hardened, a continued drive to say that new things are acceptable in political combat, uh, whether it's certain kinds of rhetoric, which in even the 70s and 80s wouldn't have been permissible about opponents, about different social groups, about what you simply can do or say in public, to certain procedural tactics like shutting down the federal government or threatening not to uh, raise the debt ceiling and sending the country into default. And and what we are seeing in the last few years is all of these are now on the table. Uh, What is permissible has greatly expanded. Mm -hmm. And there's a danger to that. Uh, Norms are often self-imposed. And uh, if those are not followed, you you enter a really not just dysfunctional, but dangerous period of politics. And I think that is exactly where we are. I've got about a minute left, but uh, I, I want to have you address <clears throat> whether whether you think this should be a, a period of of concern or fretting. If you're if you're an American living through this, how how worried should we be about the the, the state of of our discourse about uh, these issues? We should be worried if if the divisions prevent us from solving big problems such as gun control or climate change. Uh, that's a big issue for the nation. And if it allows certain social groups to come under attack, uh, either through law, policy, or rhetoric, that's another problem. The good news is lots of good things have also happened in this four-plus decade of division. Uh, Often social movements have formed and changed the way that we deal with questions, uh, and that's the best hope for the coming years. Okay, Julian Zelizer, historian and co-author of Fault Lines, A History of the United States Since 1974. It was really wonderful to talk with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. 
That's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. Remember, if you had to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you and listen when you are ready. I'll be back tomorrow, and I'll see you then. Thank you.